Hello creatives, Jay here and you are listening to episode 22 of 99% Perspiration. Can you believe it? 22 episodes. Oh, that feels good to say. This is a podcast bringing you interviews and advice with today's creative and artistic professionals so that you can get the inspiration, the confidence and the know-how to turn your creative calling into a career. So the usual format is we feature two people speaking. Um, If you heard last week's episode, episode 21, Radio 101, we interviewed seven people. And this week we're breaking from the formula in a different way. A few people have mentioned to me that it might be a nice idea to feature someone on the podcast who is more advice focused in their day job. um, And have an episode that's more geared towards all things that you can do to help someone. Rather than spending most of it hearing about someone's journey, we want to hear advice about someone who helps curate other people's journeys. Change people from someone who's passionate about going into an industry into actually becoming a person who's getting their foot in the door of an industry. So I did just that. My name's Joanna Makepeace Woods. I am the Employability Manager for Arts, Design and Media at the University of Sunderland. Joanna is in charge of making sure that the students and the graduates from the Arts, Design and Media at the University of Sunderland are taking the best step they can into creative employment in the future. I really enjoy working with people who are about to enter into the creative world and helping them understand their own skills and where they fit and what their potential is. So yeah, I really enjoy helping people progress and move on from university into the world of work. And as usual on 99% Perspiration, we like to feature a music artist to make the show sound a bit cooler and to get their music out there. Um, I met this guy called Haytham Mohammed a few weeks ago for the first time outside of a costume. Turns out I had like acted opposite him a couple of times. He was playing the White Rabbit and I was playing the Mad Hatter at some events uh, (laughs) around Sunderland. And turns out I knew this guy and I had no idea when I saw him, but we brought him onto this other radio show that I do called Arty Party on Spark FM. And he plays his guitar in such an amazing way. It reminds me of Newton Faulkner in the way that it's very much slap. And like, you'll hear it. I mean, I can't describe it anywhere near as good as he can play it, but oh my goodness, this guy, an incredible talent. And he's finally moved away from the dressing up as a character circuits, which he wasn't as much into. And he's making money from playing guitar, which is awesome. Good on you, Haytham. But if you want to check this guy out, then I really recommend you do, because he's he's top-notch and he's got loads of songs on YouTube you can enjoy. Just search on YouTube for Haytham Mohammed, spelled like H-A-Y-T-H-E-M-M-O-H-A-M-E-D. Or he's got a SoundCloud, which is the same. Just type in soundcloud.com forward slash Haytham hyphen Mohammed. As usual, our Twitter is at 99podcast. You can find us on our website, 99podcast.com. Or you can also find the newly named 99% Perspiration Podcast Group on Facebook. I definitely recommend you join because it's a great place for creatives to meet and talk with each other and we're really seeing people bounce off ideas now and keep sharing their content, which is wonderful. I've created this Facebook group and it's grown. 
Joe is going to be talking more later on in the podcast about creating your own group on Facebook and the kind of things that you could do if you're interested in that. But without further ado, let's hear from Joanna Makepeace Woods, Employability Manager at the University of Sunderland's Arts, Design and Media Faculty. This is episode 22 of 99% Perspiration. To roles like this at the university, a lot of the people they hire are often people who've had industry experience themselves, and you're very much the same in that respect, aren't you? Yes, I am. I come from an industry background, so I graduated from this university from a media production course in 2004, and had a year after that where I did a range of part-time jobs, day jobs as a, as a runner in TV, applied for loads of stuff in, in radio, TV, commercials, those sorts of areas, and worked part-time in a pub. After about a year, probably 10 months, I went for an interview on Biker Grove and didn't get a job. It was for a floor runner, didn't get it, didn't think I was quite right for it. Um, then they called me back a couple of weeks later, offering me a position in their office as an office runner to cover somebody's sick leave for a couple of weeks. I took that job couple of weeks passed and um, they kept me for an extra week and then they kept me for the series and then they invited me back for the following series so that was kind of my my breakthrough a lady called Christine Llewellyn Reeve gave me that breakthrough essentially she was the production manager and really saw something in me and she was really keen to work with young new talent and she gave me my first opportunity so off the back of that I worked on couple of other projects a couple of low budget feature films filmed in the area I then went to work on Wire in the Blood with Robson Green I did that for a series which was great again working as a production assistant completely different environment to working in children's tv because there's a lot of restrictions around children's tv the hours you can work it's a much more family oriented production Wire in the Blood's completely different. There are no restrictions. The days are longer. The team's bigger. It's a very different, a very different show. After Wire in the Blood, I went to work on for a with a company called Liberty Bell, who made the Grumpy Guides. But that was that was different for me. It wasn't drama. It was um, factual entertainment. Uh, also based in Newcastle, which was really interesting. I learned a huge amount there because you're a much much smaller team, a team of probably three as opposed to a team of. 70 and then after that I changed careers somewhat I worked in some reality tv programs celebrity football called The Match which was shot up here for about three years on Sky and then the region had a bit of a tv production crisis in that nothing was being filmed here and it really meant that everybody was leaving the region now I didn't want to leave the region so I thought where else can I use my skills to get work and then there was this training scheme run by Northern Film and Media in conjunction with other regional screen agencies across the north. And they were looking for somebody to coordinate that scheme. So I applied for that job. Obviously had the right coordination and administration skills to do it. And I was given that opportunity with Northern Film and Media. That was for about eight months. And that was working with new entrants into the industry and getting them onto real life productions and with real life companies within the north. I'd say it wasn't the easiest of jobs because the Northeast didn't have a lot of production. So we kind of had to think outside the box a little bit in terms of where we placed people. But it meant that they were getting a different type of experience. So it might not have been broadcast or feature film, but it was certainly they were still using the skills that they had in the industry to, to work and to learn, which was important. Once that scheme finished, NFM, which is Northern Film Media, invited me to stay with them as an administrator working with their social impact team. So their social impact team was based around media literacy. 
So helping people learn filming skills and techniques, but using it across the board. So within an education setting or within a participatory setting, I suppose you would call it. You know, I think and that's something which I didn't know much about at the time, but I now know a huge amount about and I found it really rewarding. It's not about the finished product of the film or the the program that you're making it's about what you learned while you were making it and not just the skills that you learned but what did you learn about yourself so a a group of female refugees working on a film project to explore why they're a refugee why they're in this country what's brought them here so it's a very interesting way to tell a story which i think is something that a lot of people entering the industry could 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 learn a lot from you don't have to be working in broadcast or in big art galleries or anything like that, you could be doing something on a participatory basis that really helps you learn your craft, but really helps you give something back and help other people as well. So I think that's, that, that taught me a huge amount from that area. There were some changes at Northern Film and Media and I moved across to the TV development team, which is where my kind of hands-on experience was. Worked with them about seven years working on developing TV projects in the region. As the funding crisis hit the northeast, in terms of we were one northeast closed, ARDF money shrunk. Our organisation had to had to change dramatically, and our chief executive pitched some changes to the type of work that we'd be doing, and we'd be more funding and finding money. And I felt that wasn't quite what where my strengths lay. I much more enjoyed the talent development side, so I decided that's what I wanted to focus on. So I came to the University of Sunderland on a freelance basis as a consultant and pitched an idea to develop talent, graduate talent. The team here thought it was a really strong idea and really relevant and current and asked me if I would do that. So I worked here on a freelance basis for I think two to three years and then a job came up which was helping graduates get into the workplace and you know helping them with those all important graduate jobs which was really great for me. We've had a rejig in the department, so I'm now employability manager and I look after the whole of the employability offer for the faculty. I do come from that industry background. I've got a lot of experience of of helping people develop at the beginning of their career, which is, again, what we're doing here with the students. We're helping them develop into professionals or, or what will be professionals in the future. That pitch that you did to get the talent development manager role must have been really nerve wracking. It was incredibly nerve-wracking. It's very scary to come up with an idea and and pitch it because I spent a lot of time developing it and speaking to people. Incredibly gratifying when 10 people around a table say, this is exactly what we need. We've had some great, great results from the first cohort of of graduates that I worked with. I think 80% of them are now working. Being able to provide that mentorship and connect them with an industry that they desperately want to work in is something that's really rewarding for me. I do teach a little bit of pitching, yes, and it's not just about pitching a project or an idea, but being able to meet somebody for the first time and talk about yourself in a confident manner is something that is, for me, really important. It happens to everybody. You go into a job interview or you meet somebody at a networking event and you're terribly nervous, you know, you've got a lot riding on the job interview and the first question, so tell us why you're here, tell us a little bit about yourself. And your mind just goes immediately blank. And you're like, what have I got to say about myself? And you think, oh, well, my name's Joanna. Um, I work at the university. And oh, that's, that's all I've got to say. 
is it? Is that all you've got to say about yourself? I don't believe that is. And I think giving someone the tools to be able to quickly answer that question in 30 seconds that um, my name's Joanna, I'm an employability manager for the University of Sunderland. I work with graduates and students to get them into the workplace. It's a really rewarding job. I've had success with this person, this person, they're now working here. To be able to say something in 30 seconds that tells somebody a bit about who you are, what you're passionate about and why they might want to work with you in the future, I think is really important. I do this workshop with first year students and the difference in them is huge. It's really marked. Not worrying about what I'm saying, but concentrating on how I'm saying it just makes a huge difference. Knowing who you are and what you've got to say, I think gives gives people confidence because you're not terrified and you can think actually, I know what I'm saying, but I can concentrate a little bit. I'm not crossing my feet across each other. I'm not looking at the floor. I am making eye contact with the people that I'm speaking to and it just breeds confidence. And that's the biggest barrier for people leaving university is not having the confidence to believe that you can compete in the job market because you absolutely can compete. Just because you are from the Northeast and you went to a Northeast university doesn't mean that you're not as good, if not better than somebody who studied in Manchester or London and is in the hub and in the heart of the industry being able to do that and stand up and say who you are confidently is a really key skill to have you were there for me for a couple of my first networking events Mm -hmm. and oh gosh they're terrifying things they are they are i mean i hate networking i absolutely hate it i think there's nothing worse than walking up to a complete stranger and introducing yourself because you don't know who they are but when you do it well and you leave that networking event with three or four or five contacts that you've made it's a great feeling to know that you had the confidence to do that and that's opened a door for you and you've done that for yourself you make it what you can you're quite a confident person jay or you certainly appear to be a confident person and like they say fake it until you make it you might be dying inside but you've done it and look where you are now you've got half a dozen opportunities at your fingertips and and those opportunities that you've made for yourself through the fact that you do speak to people and you meet people and you're willing to say yes and give something a go and I think that again is something that comes from having that confidence in yourself and your own ability. Something that I personally find quite difficult is like maintaining contact Mm. and building up a lasting Mm. relationship. It can be really hard if there's a lot of relationships you're trying to keep going. Something that I find quite useful on a monthly basis just touch base with those contacts and ask them how they're doing and tell them what you're up to they might reply they might not reply but they'll have read it they'll have seen it you'll be back up the top half of oh i've just spoken to him recently or i've just heard from him recently or oh jay's just sent me an email actually he might be somebody really interesting to you so that's a way of helping your networks work for you but i think social media now just provides you with a much easier way to to do that you don't have to trawl through your phone book ringing people and catching up and begging for work which is what a lot of people feel like they're doing facebook groups are great just for seeing what people are up to liking a status liking an update oh jay's just like that i've had a notification i'll just comment under there and see how jay's getting on linkedin provides that mechanism that it tells you such and such has just got a new job or They've been at their job for three years now. Congratulate them. Wish them a happy work anniversary. If you use those social networks well, they're giving you all of the tools to be a great networker and keep in contact with people. But I think just go to events and meet people. And I'm seeing somebody today who I used to work with and we're just having a catch up over a coffee. 
something might come of it, might not, but I've touched base with her and it's been a face-to-face interaction. It's difficult, but I think you have to make time, even if it's half a day, once a month, and it's scheduled in your diary, to just touch base with people that you don't regularly see, I think is really valuable. It's something that I've tried to do myself, Mm. to, to get together a network. Um, let's say there isn't one in someone's area if they're listening from wherever would you advise putting together a group like this yourself or getting together with other people to do it absolutely I think if you can set up a community of like-minded people who are sharing opportunities and ideas and and chat I think it's a really really valuable place because you might post a question on your own Facebook page on your own news feed and I would say 90% of the people on your Facebook feed aren't in your area of work. You get their feedback and their opinion. Yes, I love it. I enjoyed it. It made me laugh. But you're not getting any of that feedback that is valuable to your development in terms of that constructive criticism. And I think so having that space, that community where you can call on other people who are starting out or professionals and offer you that guidance and mentoring and, and support, I think is really key and really easy But I would say if you are going to set something up, keep it vibrant, even if it's you that's posting stuff and people are liking and not necessarily posting stuff. I think it's still really useful for you as an individual, as long as you're getting something out of it and it doesn't become a chore. And then once that community starts to grow, make other people admins of it and get their input. Good Facebook groups can grow as long as you you hit the zeitgeist in terms of what it is you're talking about and what it is you're sharing and, and looking for. Are you an advocate for the elevator pitch? I love the elevator pitch. I think it's great. And it could be called any pitch. It doesn't have to be an elevator pitch. It could be a taxi queue pitch. You know, I think so many times you see someone speak and you think, God, weren't they they interesting? (laughs) And then everyone in the auditorium gets up to go and ask them a question at the end and you don't have time to speak to them. But then later that day you see them in a taxi queue or in the dinner queue or something like that and you've got a very short space of time to introduce yourself and tell them about an idea that you've got. I think it's I think they're really great and really valuable and really useful. I think if you can concisely talk about something that you're doing, people get it. If you can do it in 30 seconds, they get it in 30 seconds and if you can't do it in 30 seconds, why can't you do it in 30 seconds and Maybe it's too big. Maybe it's not enough. I, I love an elevator pitch. I think they're really good, really valuable and, and really fun. And they can change all the time. It's a living, breathing thing, an elevator pitch. And you can use it across the board. And I just think in the creative world, opportunities to sit and have a lengthy conversation with someone, especially in this day and age, are brief. So being able to just pitch something quickly is ideal. Tell me your idea. What is it? Oh, this is it. This is it. Brilliant. I love it. I'll get back to you shortly. What's your email address? You can be much more enthusiastic in a minute about something and exciting and excite somebody else in it than you can in an hour, an hour and a half or half a day or a written document. It has its place and it can be really useful. Something that I think a lot of creative people face nowadays is like the idea that people are spreading themselves really thin. Mm. They've got to do a lot lot of different things and Mm. keep up with a lot of different media. Mm. I think so. I think you spread yourself as thinly as you want to be spread. This time last year, I was planning a wedding, supporting a charity. I was producing an award ceremony. I was doing my job. Then having a life at the end of it with my then fiancé, a family life, a social life. It was too much. 
And I said, the charity work for this next year at least is, is going to have to give. So I had to step back from that. And that afforded me a huge amount of time to just to do other things, even if it was planning my wedding, which isn't work related at all, but really important. Some people thrive on being super busy and dipping in and out and not having time for everything. But how much are you getting out of that as an individual? Are you really deeply spending time on something and understanding it and doing it well by being able to spend an hour a week on it or are you not and I think that's something that people need to really consider am I better off doing three things really well or doing 10 things really lightly and that I think that depends on the person and another workshop that that we run is around what type of person are you what's your personality like are you a social butterfly who has you probably are Jay you probably, you know, you know a lot of people, you can make those great connections, you can introduce this person to this person because it would be really useful. You go to a lot of networking events, you're in a lot of groups and that's a really useful skill and a really useful person to know. There are other types of people who might spend time on a couple of things but they're really into it and they're really engaged and they're really interested and it's not just the subject that they want to know about but it's the person, it's the individual. What are you like? What can you? How are you? Tell me about yourself. You know, they're really interested. It's understanding what type of person you are and whether or not being that super busy person is right for you and your personality type or if actually I'd get more out of this and the project would get more out of it if I focused on this for a bit longer and and let some of the stuff slide a little bit and just said actually I'm not going to be able to dedicate any time to that because I need to focus on on this for a while. So I think yes people are so much busier now but it's really important to plan your time so that you can do well out of the things you are involved in. Specifically TV now, if that's mm-hmm. that right. Yep. Do you have any advice for people who are wanting to take the next step in a TV career? Go and get a taste of it. Watch TV. That would be my biggest my biggest and first point on any presentation for people who want to get into TV. Watch TV. And I say TV, watch content. That was my biggest my biggest bugbear when people come and see me and say I want to work in TV. Right, what do you like? Well, I don't watch TV. No one in TV is going to get give you a job if you don't watch it. So find out what you like and then start making those approaches to, do you love George Gently? That's filmed in this region. Can I come and spend a day work experience or a couple of days shadowing some of your crew? Absolutely, of course you can. Come down, go down. Once you get your foot through the door, Ask them some questions. Be interested. Make sure you've watched the show before you go on your work experience because they'll refer to people and cast members that they'll expect that you know because everybody else there knows who they are. And then once you're in there, if you don't already know which area you want to work in, be it costume, cameras, makeup, production, lighting, find out. Ask questions. Do I want to work in the assistant director's department? I did that for a bit. Really enjoyed it. But being on set wasn't wasn't for me and it quickly became apparent that it wasn't for me. When it's moving, it's moving quickly. But when you're shooting a drama with one camera and you've got to get four cast members, you're doing the same scene from different angles for half of the day, it's not exciting. It's not glamorous. It's not the, the excitement that people think it is. So production office was somewhere that I wanted to be because I'm quite an organised person. 
and that is the hub. You know everything about everyone and I'm that sort of person. You know, I'm interested and I think that's the key. Once you get on set, once you're doing a placement or work experience or a bit of shadowing, be interested. Ask as many questions as you can. By asking questions, you're making contacts, you're building your networks and you can start doing those catch-ups with people every couple of weeks. Hiya, I'm looking for some opportunities as a runner or a art department assistant have you got any oh well actually i'm doing the short film for the next week yeah they haven't got a big budget but i could certainly afford to have on somebody for for a few days so give it a go make an approach but don't this happens quite often send one email to every production it's the same email it's very general it doesn't make the person reading it feel like you're interested in their project or you're interested in them or the job or anything like that it actually, it's quite insulting to think that this blanket email's gone to everybody. And people know when it's been a blanket email. It's always very short, very unspecific. Oh, they're not interested. And that, again, it's a big no-no. So be interested. Tailor your emails. Tailor your approaches. Send an email. Send a follow-up email. If you don't get anywhere, give them a phone call. Because the likelihood is, when they're in the the very heart of the production and it's right in the middle of the busiest week they don't have time but every time you make contact your name goes to the top of the pile because they remember who you are so when they see your cv i spoke to jay last week so let's get him in he seemed like a nice guy they'll give you a go and once you're in you're in watch the credits on programs that you like and find out the type of jobs because within the creative sector 20% of the jobs that new entrants will be taking on in the future don't exist yet. You know, what does that tell you? It's such a dramatically expanding field. You could literally do anything. That second email, though. Yeah. Personally, I always struggle with that. Like, if Mm. someone doesn't respond, the wording of it is just like you'd be replying to someone and it would be like, hi, again, just following up on this. Yeah, sometimes... It It is tricky because you kind of think, well, what do I say? They they might have seen my first email and they might not be interested. But then at least you wrote, you wrote that answer. What I tend to do is I'll forward the previous email that I've sent. Hi, Joanna, I'm just, just following up on my previous email. I realise you're right in the middle of production. You might be really busy. Just want to make sure that you received it. Just checking that you've, that you've got my email. And the likelihood is they'll quickly ping you on back saying, Yes, I got it. I'm really sorry. I just haven't had a chance to reply, but I'm a bit quieter next week, so give me a call. So I think it's just keeping those channels of communication open. You get a sense, I think, on the third or fourth time you contact somebody whether or not they're interested. And if they're not, they're not. But always make sure you're sending it to the right person. You know, on a production, on a TV production or a film production, there's certain people who hire people and it's not your cameraman. They can give an inkling, a bit of a steer on who they want to work with, but the line producer, the production manager, is hiring and firing the crew. Get your CVs to them. A big organisation that you're applying for a placement or a job or that isn't advertised, but it's some, you know, a lot of jobs in the creative sector come around by word of mouth or, you know, before they get advertised. Go on their websites or ring them up. Who deals with HR? Who deals with placements? Do you have a specific contact for work experience? Great. Hi, Stephen. What's your email address? How do I make an approach about work experience? Oh, well, you know, just send me an email, CV, cover letter. You know, you've you've made a contact, you've got a name, you've got... So next time you ring up the switchboard, you know who you're asking for. Hi, Stephen. I spoke to you on the phone last week, just checking you got my email. 
yes, I remember you, absolutely, yes, I've got it. It's just I've had that many emails that day, it's disappeared at the bottom of my inbox. It's easy to take it personally and say, well, I've sent them an email, no one's replied. They're much busier than you are, the likelihood is. And finding people for placements, work experience or jobs is at 10% of their day, whereas it's 100% of a new entrance day, isn't it? Bear that in mind. The work's got to come from you. For creatives who aren't mm-hmm. students or graduates from the University of Sunderland, yeah, are there any um, online resources that you'd recommend? There's lots of stuff available. The regional screen agencies, for argument's sake, the likes of Creative England or Arts Council England, all have resources there that can help you make that move or next step or certain give you opportunities that are there. I think it's just you've got to look for them. Just get involved, I think, is the key thing. But there's a huge amount of online resources and just go and ask. Don't be afraid to ask. I can't speak more highly of volunteering. I think it really shapes you as a person and helps you learn what type of person you are and give you a good work ethic and and a compassion that you probably might not have got if you've only ever worked in a part-time job in a pub, which, again, I think is really valuable. Part-time working really gives you a huge amount of transferable skills that you can take across into the workplace, in any workplace. Just get involved and find and look on the websites and and really read the information. If you want to get on and you want to get up, then I think it's really important that you do engage with what's out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 22 of 99% Perspiration. A big thank you to all of our guests as usual. Um, this week, just the two of them, to Haytham Mohammed, who played the amazing slap guitar that's been going on throughout the episode. What a talent. Um, don't forget to check him out on soundcloud.com forward slash Haytham hyphen Mohammed on his YouTube as well, which is Haytham Mohammed. And of course, to Joanna Makepeace Woods, employability manager at the University of Sunderland's Arts, Design and Media Faculty. You are an absolute star, a pleasure to talk to, and and I've known Joanna for about three years. She really is solid for advice on getting your name out there, especially if you're interested in going into TV. Um, And if you've got any comments, any questions, any feedback, please do let me know. You can contact me uh, via Twitter at 99podcast. For more information about Joanna and ways to get in touch with her, uh, please visit the website 99podcast.com. And also don't forget about our creative hub of people who get together on Facebook to swap ideas and all that kind of lovely creative stuff. You can search on Facebook for 99% Perspiration Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week is episode 23, which if you're a fan of Jim Carrey, like myself, you'll know is a very important and big number. So who have we got in store for episode 23 next week? Alicia Myers, who's just started out at the BBC. She's got a research role and she's working in their TV department. And also, a couple of months ago, he started out at Sky News. You'll be hearing from producer Ganesh Rao. So next week, Alicia Myers, who does research at BBC, and Ganesh Rao, who is a producer at Sky News. Thank you so much for joining us once again on 99% Perspiration. And, of course, until next time, stay productive, stay awesome.